<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, Donald Trump says about Jeff Sessions, I wish I'd never hired that guy. How do you like that for loyalty? What do you say, folks? Good to see you. Thursday, July 20. And off we go uh, for another round of The uh, Bill Press Show. As we come to you from a hot and steamy Washington, D.C., and it's getting hot and steamy on the issues as well. Republicans threw in the towel the day before yesterday and then uh, on health care. They went down to uh, lunch. Why did they go even? Anyhow, lunch at the White House. All 51 of them went and uh, Donald Trump just said, Basically, you guys are losers. You gave up too soon. Go back, get the job done. Give me what I want. If you don't, we'll run somebody against you. If you don't, you're the enemy and you will not go home until you pass a repeal and replace bill. Uh, Yes, that must have uh, (laughs) made them leave the lunch with a little bit of indigestion. We'll tell you all about that. Plus, more uh, questions about what did Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin talk about at that up until yesterday totally secret special second session uh, while he was at the G20 summit. Uh, Yes, Donald Trump telling Jeff Sessions, take a hike, Jeff. I don't want you around anymore. And sad news about John McCain. His illness more serious than we thought, diagnosed yesterday with brain cancer. All of that coming up here on The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first, this is The Full right. Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Is the presidency bad for business? That is a question that The Washington Post brings up because they took a look at the businesses that Donald Trump has, like his golf courses, specifically in Los Angeles, the Uh Rancho Palos Verdes, the uh, Trump golf course there. Apparently business is way, way down, both the numbers of players actually playing it and in permits for TV and movie shoots. That's the good like side grift for a lot of these golf courses (coughs) is you license it out for people to use for 
production or commercials or movies. Yeah, or but TV if you, especially if you, well, all of his, not all, of, I, I think all of his golf courses are in pretty beautiful places. Sure, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, the ones in Scotland and, and Rancho Palos Verdes, great views of the ocean there. That's that uh, golf course specifically was used in the TV show Modern Family, which they said uh. they will no longer use any of the Trump properties <laughs> for any of the shoots. Not exactly a Trump show. Not exactly a Trump-friendly show. Yeah, no, not a, not at all. So they're saying that they're seeing businesses go down at his other properties, too. So maybe uh, he'll see that and want to get out of the presidency, get back into business. Uh, yeah, that would be good. Also, maybe he would uh, um, follow the law and the Constitution. That, too. Yes. That, too. Grand opening, grand closing. The United States has ended a four-month ban on passengers carrying laptops on board U.S.-bound flights from certain airports in the Middle East. Remember, yeah, this yeah. went into place. Yeah. And it's over. It's over. It lasted four months. It was so important that we get it done, and now it just doesn't So then matter. why do they get rid of that stupid rule about taking your shoes off? Look, there are so many dumb rules at the airport, and the fact that they put this one into place and then almost No other country on the planet it. requires you to do that. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Total. It's completely insane. Uh, and one other quick story. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this, but HBO has given the creators of Game of Thrones a direct-to-series order for their new program. It's called Confederate. It takes place in an alternate universe where slavery was never repealed and never gotten done away with, and the Confederate states actually won the Civil War. It's a no for me, dog. Can't it could, do it. It could be a total mess. It could be very well done. I I have my reservation. But why go there, right? Yeah, yeah. They had a hit with Game of Thrones. We'll see. Yeah. Well, let's have another one called Holocaust, yeah, right? right? Yeah. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Well, what do you know? On a Thursday, July 20. I know. It's good to see you today, and I know there's a lot going on that we want to talk about. This is the Bill Press Show. That's me. Good to have you with us, and great to see you on this Thursday. Thanks so much for tuning in again. Whether you're listening or watching, however you're joining us, we welcome you to the program for the next two hours. We're going to bring you the best guests and uh, give you all the news of the day. As we come to you live from our Washington, D.C. headquarters here, our studio in Capitol Hill, just up the street from the United States Capitol Building. Uh, and we are reaching out to you on uh, every platform you can imagine on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On Free Speech TV, coast to coast. Uh, great to see you there on DirecTV. And also, of course, on WCPT out in Chicago. Hope some of you last night caught our. Uh, special edition from the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee here in Washington, D.C. We streamed that live also out on uh, YouTube.com. Thanks to Jamie, right? Bill, can I mention one thing, the th- what we discovered in the DNC as we were leaving? Uh, you can. I, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, this is very, very exciting. In fact, uh, where is it? I think it? you have I a picture it. of it. I we could tweet it out. It. Yeah, tweet it out. Right. So in the basement of the DNC, which is where the studio was, where just, you the, the, just like in a corner there, not... Yeah, no big sign, no nothing. You wouldn't, you would thought it was just an extra piece of furniture if you were yeah. just walking by. A cabinet 
from the original Watergate break-in. The filing cabinet that they broke into. No way. Yeah, from... Wait, the, really? No, from the DNC... I mean, it should be in the Smithsonian yeah. American yeah. History Museum. It's right there. Um, the filing cabinet that they broke into at the Watergate... Uh, the headquarters of the DNC at the time were in the Watergate. Uh, and it has a metal band on it now, like, to protect it, which sure, I guess sure. it didn't have then. <laughs> it's like a crowbar. They should have thought about that. Yeah, right. That's nuts. And, that's pretty cool. And the guy was uh, showing us out, just to show us, oh, by the way, that's the, uh, oh, by the way, that's the original file from the Watergate. <laughs> oh, by the way. Well, oh, by the way, <laughs> both Jamie and I grabbed our phones and said, yeah. No kidding. That's, 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 so we'll give you that so you can Very cool. tweet it out. Uh, and there was a, a, some kind of a cabinet alongside. They were the two pieces of furniture from that office uh, that the plumbers broke into. You know, the other cabinet is actually where they had the three to five million illegal votes for Hillary Clinton that they put into the election. Uh, oh, that's probably yeah, where that's why they had Yeah, it because we'll never know. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> we learned yesterday. We'll never know who won the election, right? Yeah. Um, we have uh, lots, so much to talk about. Let's see. Let's Let's start with. Uh, and we'll get to the voter. No, let's start right there since we mentioned it. Yeah. So they have this meeting. As Jason Kandor told us yesterday, who is the head of the Democratic Commission that's formed to counter whatever comes out of what he correctly called the Voter Suppression Commission, headed by Mike Pence and the Secretary of State for Kansas, this Chris Kovac, uh, and so Donald Trump goes to yesterday. And now remember, this commission was formed for the sole purpose of proving that Donald Trump was right when he said that three to five million people voted illegally. Completely baseless. Co- yeah, totally, totally baseless. There's been zero evidence for that. So what he does is, it is true, and we're going to prove it's true by appointing this commission, and they're going to find out, and they're going to they're going to issue their report, and therefore. And, and then we will know. So uh, Donald Trump shows up himself yesterday to say we're going to root out voter fraud in this country. Any form of illegal or fraudulent voting, whether by non-citizens or the deceased, and any form of voter suppression or intimidation must be stopped. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are dead people voting all over this country, right? Yeah. I mean, again, we've gone over this so many times. Study after study, investigation after investigation, zero, almost zero evidence. Certainly zero evidence of massive, massive voter fraud. We talked about the case in the state of Texas. One of our guests told us that where they looked at 20 million cases of voting and they found two people who had perhaps voted illegally, one of them just because she happened to have moved and was still registered to vote in the previous state before she moved to Texas and, and, and uh, uh, while living in Texas. But she only voted once, so far as they know. At any rate, the whole thing is just caca. And this Chris Kovac now, who this crazy secretary of state, who told Donald Trump, gave, told he's the one who told him three to five million people voted illegally. Donald Trump went and ran for it. Now he's made Kovac the, uh, the, the acting head, basically, the co-chair of this commission. He says yesterday... We may never know who won the popular vote in You think that maybe Hillary Clinton did not win the popular vote? 
we may never know the answer to that question. How do you I know say we may never know the answer to that question? Really? Really? You really believe that? Well, well I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, let's suppose that the commission determined that there were a certain number of votes cast by ineligible voters. You still won't know whether those people who were ineligible voted for Trump or for Clinton or for somebody else. Yeah, he's an idiot. He's this an is, idiot. Th this is so dangerous. It's so, so dangerous yeah. because they're going to come up with something. They're going to come up with a certain number of people and a certain number of votes that right. they are going to say right. should never, ever, ever have voted. And you know what that means? They're going to make sure that they don't vote in the next election. What it means is that that will be used as a green light for state after state after state after state to put in more measures to suppress the vote, particularly for women, for minorities, for college students, for African Americans, for Latinos, making it more difficult to vote uh, in all those different ways that they've tried before with the voter ID, with no early voting, with no weekend voting, with you can't register when you show up, on and on and on. That's what this is. That's, that's exactly what this is. And this, is, this has been the agenda for the Republican Party for a long time. And they finally got an idiot at the White House who will try to do something about it. And by the way, insult to injury, this is going to cost us $500,000 mm. over two years to do this panel, this commission, which was all... I mean, look, they have ulterior motives to try and disenfranchise voters, but yeah. their their excuse to getting into this is that a doddering old man screamed about how he should have won the popular vote. By the way, who is the only reason who, who is president? president? <laughs> who else who does president? have Air Force One? Who does have the White House? Who does have the Oval Office? What the f does he want, right? Uh, and the truth is, Chris Kovac, I hate to break it to you, but we do know who won the popular vote. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Sadly, we also know who won the Electoral College vote. And maybe we can do something about that. So that whole mess was going on yesterday while Donald Trump had a big lunch. Hear about it? Were you invited? No, but all 51 Republican senators who were in town were invited for some strange reason. Uh, I think some of them just like um, pain and suffering. Uh, they all showed up. Uh, and Donald Trump lectured them like a bunch of school kids. Now, remember what had happened is that they had, after three attempts, finally the day before they had said, we're done. We can't, we can't come up with a bill to repeal and replace Obamacare that we can get enough Republican votes for. Of course, they're not talking about Democratic votes at all. So we can't get a bill to repeal and replace that we can get 50 votes for. So... We're just going to repeal. No, we can't get 50 votes for that either. So basically, we're just going to throw in the towel and maybe move on to tax reform. Donald Trump says, no, 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 you're not. He invites them down there and says, no, you bunch of losers. You're going to go home, back to the Senate rather, and you're going to stay in town until you do what I tell you you're going to do. We can repeal, but we should repeal and replace, and we shouldn't leave town until this is complete, until this bill is on my desk, and until we all go over to the Oval Office, I'll sign it, and we can celebrate for the American people. Now, you know, you got you to gotta know that their heads were spinning while they're sitting there listening to this, because the very day before, it was Donald Trump. We talked about this yesterday. Peter read the tweets. The day before, he had said, all right, if you can't do repeal and replace, Let's just repeal it and get it over with. Just repeal it. Just repeal it. Forget about replacing it. That was the day before. 
yesterday at lunch, he's flipped again. We have no choice. We have to repeal and replace the exact opposite. What in the world is he doing? We can repeal it, but the best is repeal and replace, and let's get going. Yeah. So he says one thing one day, one thing the next. Again, their head's got to be spinning. And then, so right alongside of him, he, he sits uh, Dean Heller from Nevada, who is probably the most vulnerable Republican of all and who has been against this bill. And basically, he threatens him saying, you know, we know you're going to do the right thing, but if you don't, the implied message is, if you don't, we're going to run somebody against you. And then he talked about the other Republicans, the three of them, uh, well, uh, the, particularly the, uh, Susan Collins and Rand Paul, but the other two, uh, Mike Lee and Jerry Moran from Kansas. He's referring to them uh, when he also sends them a message about uh, my so-called friends, if you will. My friends, yes. We're very close. The other night I was very surprised when I heard a couple of my friends. My, my friends. friends. They really were and are. They might not be very much longer, but that's okay. <laughs> My uh, friends. And so dutifully. My wife. My yeah. wife. <laughs> My friends. <laughs> a couple of my friends. My friends. This is crazy. Oh, man. He doesn't have a friend. You know what? He doesn't have a friend in that room. <laughs> they'd, you know they'd love then to None get, of those guys are his friends. No, they'd love to get rid of him. Right. <laughs> So then, now Mitch McConnell dutifully comes out, dutifully comes out and says, "Okay, uh, this is the same Mitch McConnell who the day before had said it's all over. Now he says, no, we're going to vote. We're going to vote next week, and we're going to vote to proceed with this bill, Mitch McConnell. It's the motion to proceed. We cannot keep the commitment we made to the American people to repeal and replace Obamacare unless we get on the bill. So next week... Uh, we'll be voting to get on the bill. Now, uh, has he uh, made many converts on that? Uh, well, let's see. Let's just check in with one. Uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski is one of those who said uh, very, very clearly, one of the first ones who said, remember, and by the way, the first three out of the box who said, no, we are not going to repeal only. Uh, and there's a good reason, by the way. They did this in 2015. They voted to repeal Obamacare, replace it with nothing. And they did it in 2015 because they knew it didn't matter. It didn't count for anything because they knew that President Obama would veto it. So therefore, they could get away with voting to repeal, replace it with nothing. There would be no consequences because it would never happen, and they were just sending a message. Now, Mitch McConnell wants them to vote to repeal for real, and... Several senators just said right away, we're not going to go along with it because if you look at the 2015 vote, you thought the House bill to, to knock 23 million Americans off of health care was bad. You thought the Senate bill, which according to the Congressional Budget Office, would deprive, knock 22 million Americans uh, off of health care. You thought that was bad? No. The repeal bill only in 2015, which Mitch McConnell again wants him to vote for now, according to the Congressional Budget Office, would deprive 32 million Americans 
of health insurance within a decade and would double the number of Americans who do not have any health insurance whatsoever. So based on that, Susan Collins and Shelley Moore, uh, Susan Collins of Maine, Shelley Moore Capito from uh, West Virginia, and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, all three of them, all three women, by the way, I want to point out, they immediately came out and said, no, we will not vote for repeal only. After having lunched with the president and after Mitch McConnell says, we're going to, we want you to, to vote this way next week, reporters caught up with Lisa Murkowski. So did all that um, Capito, right? Sorry, what I call yeah. it? Oh, oh, this is Capito, not Lisa Murkowski. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. thought it was Murkowski. But Shelley Moore Capito. Did you change your mind here? Are you reconsidering your decision to vote against the motion? You know, no. <laughs> In a word. I'm I'm hardly the first person. No. I'm hardly the first person to point this out, but uh, considering how this was all written by men, and there was all this stuff yeah, made about yeah. the fact that this was written by men, and all the women were left out of it, uh, and the men, the, 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 it was a group of men that Mitch McConnell put together to yeah. write this bill. Yeah, only the, men. The fact that it was female senators, female Republican senators that sunk this was pretty delicious. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and it just shows. Uh, we need more women in the House and more women in the Senate to do the right thing. By the way, one of the uh, great leaders of the protest movement against protests, and there have been protests in the Senate every single day, uh, is uh, uh, MoveOn.org under the leadership of uh, Ben Wickler, Sir. the Washington director of MoveOn.org, who is uh, going to be here uh, joining us in just about 10 minutes for this uh, second half hour of the show today. Uh, and then uh, Cameron Joseph, who now is with Talking Points Memo, will be joining us a little bit later as a friend of Bill. And the great Rosa DeLauro, congresswoman from Connecticut, uh, will be along as well. She's been, of course, a real – she's one of the um, real – pardon me, progressive leaders in the House of Representatives. So a great lineup of guests. We'll get more into the health care uh, legislation what happens next, and what people can do uh, with Ben Wickler uh, in just a few moments. Meanwhile, another issue yesterday is, of course, uh, more and more talk, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, about this strange second meeting, uh, secret meeting, actually. It was in front of a lot of people, but it was a meeting that was not announced ahead of time, and it was a meeting, and, and probably because it did happen spontaneously, but also was not reported afterwards, and that is a meeting that Donald Trump had on the same day he had that two-hour meeting with Vladimir Putin. At the dinner that evening, Donald Trump, who's seated alongside the Japanese prime minister, uh, ends up going across and sitting with Vladimir Putin, who was alongside of Melania. Uh, He takes an interpreter with him, and they sit down and reportedly talked for about an hour. Uh, was this a big deal? The White House says no. It was big deal at uh, no big deal at all. Uh, Sheriff uh, Huckabee, Sarah, uh, Huckabee Sanders yesterday saying, you know, um, it wasn't really a private conversation. There were so many people in the room to try to create that there was some sort of private conversation in a room with uh, 40 plus people seems a little bit ridiculous. And she says we're not going to talk about what they talked about. They had a brief conversation, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of the conversation. So uh, was it a big deal or not? Damn right it was a big deal. You know, first of all, anytime if he was sitting there yucking it up with Theresa May, nobody would, nobody would say anything. Or even with Angela Merkel, right? be interesting, but 
But with Vladimir Putin, this is a guy who stole Crimea, who still has troops in eastern Ukraine, who tried to undermine our presidential election to help Donald Trump, and who is bombing the you-know-what out of civilians in Syria. And Donald Trump has a one-hour conversation with him. And get this, there is nobody there from the White House. There is nobody there from the State Department. It's just Putin and his interpreter and Donald Trump. And Donald Trump takes an interpreter with him who doesn't speak Russian, who only speaks Japanese. Japanese. Right. So we are totally, whatever happened at that meeting, right, the only thing we would ever know about it is from the Russian interpreter. And we know after the first meeting that day, Rex Tillerson came out and gave a totally different impression of what happened than Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia. So the idea that we would trust them to tell us exactly what was said and what transpired is nonsense. So, yeah, it is a big deal when the president of the United States speaks to our adversary, the president of Russia. And we don't know about the meeting, number one. And and then when we do find out about it, the White House tries to say, oh, it's not a big deal. There's a lot of people around. This is just at the end of the dinner. They were just chit-chatting, right? Yeah. No. Uh, It it is. Now, uh, again, um, I thought Chris Matthews gave a a good point last night on Crossfire. I'm on Crossfire, on the hardball. Um, Maybe Donald Trump's new uh, slogan is make Russia great again. He asks former uh, NSA director James Clapper. Do you think uh, our president is helping uh, Russia be great again? Uh, in a, in, yeah, in a way, I guess uh, <laughs> he is. Uh, particularly if uh, as Putin, you know, gets his way in uh, in Syria, and uh, if nothing is done to push back on the Russians in in Ukraine, um, yes. And what he's referring to, of course, is uh, this didn't get much attention yesterday, but it's pretty significant. Uh, President Obama had begun a program uh, two or three years ago to provide some help, uh, logistical help um, and training help to the rebels who were opposed to President uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria and were trying to bring him down. Uh, Donald Trump ended that program this week. Uh, That was at the request of Vladimir Putin. So Putin, who's a big Assad supporter, uh, says to Donald Trump, you should stop helping the, to helping the enemies of Bashar al-Assad. And this week, Donald Trump agreed to do so. Not a lot of fanfare, but you just wonder what came out of these meetings. And then we trust Donald Trump alone with Vladimir Putin. He'll give away the store. The other part of this thing it that did. I think is so is, is, is so uh, is just being missed is how Donald Trump is is sort of accusing the media of saying something that they're not, right? Like in all of his tweets... He's screaming about fake news. The media says I had a secret dinner with Vladimir Putin, uh, which no, is not true. No, 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 no one said that. you had Everybody a secret said. dinner. No one said you had a, a secret dinner. Right. There was a – and even the, the original report says this was at a dinner with all of the leaders and Donald Trump had another meeting inside of that dinner, which is yeah. what happened. And, you know, he can stir his people up into a frenzy and Sarah Huckabee Sanders can say, oh, this was just a dinner where everybody was there. But that's not what happened. That's not the story. And so for all of the yelling about fake news and right. fake news media and all that crap, 
they're the ones distorting the issue here. Right. Uh, Donald Trump Quite also, clearly. Yeah, I mean, they, absolutely. This is all I, on them. Well, even more so because uh, in a conversation with the New York Times yesterday, Donald Trump, borrowing a page from his son, Donald Jr., says that he and Vladimir Putin just talked about adoptions. Yeah, they talked for an hour about the adoption policy, which I'm sure Donald Trump doesn't know anything yeah. about. No, I'm that's sure he knows a, all about that's that. That's just a big fat lie. Donald Trump also yesterday, by the way, how do you like this, Jeff Sessions? Donald Trump told the New York Times yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I want to read the exact quote uh, that he said about, um, whoa, whoa, it was right on the front page. Anyhow, uh, but, but he's told Jeff Sessions, he said that if he had known Jeff Sessions was going to, here it is, Sessions should never have recused himself. And if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job, and I would have picked somebody else. <laughs> That's your attorney general. He's saying, I don't want Jeff Sessions on the job. I don't trust him anymore. You can read that right into, into this. I would never have appointed him if I knew he was going to recuse himself. You know what he was saying, basically? Hey, Jeff, I want your resignation. Listen, That's exactly what the message is. It was a month ago that Jeff said the story came out that, that Jefferson Sessions offered to resign, yeah. which we at the time said was BS, and I thought it was BS, and you thought it was BS, and I maintain it was BS, because if he offered to resign, and Donald Trump is saying this about him now, he would have gladly accepted that yeah, resignation. right. And I, I do think it means that Jeff Sessions, I mean, how can he, how can he do his job, right? How can he, without the, without the support of the man who appointed him, He's in an impossible position. Not, look, I'm no Jeff Sessions no, fan at all. Like, this is amazing. He's, he's the worst person possible to have been appointed attorney general. But now even Donald Trump knows that. He, he, like, how do you go into work today yeah. if you're Jeff Sessions? Right. How do you show your face to the people that are working for you in your how department you, when your boss is publicly in the New York Times saying he yeah. doesn't want you there? And how can you get any respect from your employees, right? Yeah. Oh. Man. I got to tell you, and one final note, and a sad note, and that is, and we feared that um, the word from Arizona about John McCain just having little minor surgery here to remove a blood clot behind his eye might be more serious uh, than than we were originally told, uh, and that we know is now true. That uh, his doctors uh, reporting yesterday that John McCain has been diagnosed with a brain cancer, a serious brain cancer. Uh, he will be out of action. Uh, for a lot longer than originally thought, uh, and his family is talking about undergoing radiation and chemotherapy. Uh, he's a fighter. If anybody can fight it, as uh, several people said, President Obama said yesterday, uh, John McCain can, but this is a serious cancer. It's the same cancer that felled uh, uh, Senator Ted Kennedy. His best friend in the Senate, uh, Lindsey Graham, yesterday uh, did have a conversation with John McCain, which he reported to his fellow senators last night. Talked to John, said, yeah, I might have to stay here a little bit longer, take some treatments, and I'll be back. And uh, we talked about five minutes, you know, it's going to be a tough way forward, but he says, I've been through worse. And basically, then we started talking about health care in the NDA. <laughs> Literally, it wasn't five minutes until he turned away from what I think most people would have a hard time absorbing and focused on what he loves the best. Uh, and uh, Lindsey Graham did say one thing you know about John McCain, he is a fighter and cancer uh, better know that. So pray. Uh, I don't know 
God knows how this ends, not me. But I do know this. This disease has never had a more worthy opponent. President Obama put out a statement uh, yesterday. Donald Trump put out a statement in the middle of the night. We also remember, if we have it, Jamie? Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, let's, let's just put it this way. He was not John McCain's biggest fan, remember, during the campaign? He hit me. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you agree with that? He's a war hero because he was captured. How disgusting at the time. I still can't believe he said stuff like that and got elected president of the United States. He also said, get well soon in the official statement. Yeah, and it's true. His official statement was, get well soon. Barack Obama put out a statement before Donald Trump did. First of all, which was kinder and more thoughtful than what Donald Trump said, and yeah, you're and right. talked about his being a fighter. Yeah, 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 and get well soon. Right. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, in terms of we need his, they need his vote now on health care. Uh, so this is what Donald Trump. This is the message he really had to John McCain last night. This goes back to uh, October six last year, right toward the end of the campaign. Uh, here's what he had to say about people who might be in John McCain's condition. I don't care if you just came back from the doctor and he gave you the worst possible prognosis, meaning it's over. You won't be around in two weeks. Doesn't matter. Hang out till November 8th. Get out and vote. And then all we're going to say is we love you and we will remember you always. How sick. Oh, my God. How disgusting. Yeah, you know. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, he is president of the United <laughs> States. Jesus. On health care. Let's get to it. Where do we go from here? Big victory. Uh, but, you know, it's not over yet. Ben Wicker is going to tell us all about it. Give us our marching orders next from MoveOn.org on the Bill Press Show. A couple of my friends, my friends. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we are on a uh, Thursday, Thursday, July 20. Hello, everybody. Thanks for uh, hanging in there. Thanks for staying with us. And thanks for joining up with the Bill Press Show, whether you are watching us on YouTube, listening on WCPT out in Chicago, or watching us on Free Speech TV. We are coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their president, uh, Leo Girard, a tough fighter for the American workers not just the steel workers across the board, uh, but the steel workers, which he heads, are the largest industrial union in this country, representing over 1.2 million retired and active members. Check out their website at usw.org. If you were in the halls of the United States Senate yesterday in the Capitol, <coughs> you would not, <coughs> oh, pardon me, uh, not only have seen maybe some uh, senators trying to run away from reporters so they didn't get <laughs> asked about 
what the latest is on the health care legislation, but you would have heard loud voices in protest about what the Republicans were up to. Unite and fight health care is a human right. Yes, indeed, the protests have been loud and effective, thanks in great part to MoveOn.org, which has taken this on as a priority. Washington Director Ben Wickler, right across from us, you sat here not so long ago and said this is going to be, for the resistance, this is going to be where we're going to focus. This is the next step to stop this health care bill. By golly, you did it. <laughs> We are doing it. This zombie keeps clawing its way out of the grave. I know. Right. We need to be ready with the <laughs> chainsaw by the grave for this thing to come and try to eat us. They are dead set, these Republicans, on passing something, whatever it is, no matter how many people get hurt. They would rather rip the healthcare system to shred, to shreds than lose. And so our job, anyone who cares about you know their own health, their family's health, all the people who would be hurt by this, all the seniors whose nursing home care is risk, all the kids who might hit their lifetime limit before they get out of the NICU after they're born. I mean, everyone has something big at stake in this fight, and we just cannot let up our vigilance for a second. We've seen the horror movies. These monsters come back. So you're saying, you want people to know, it is not dead. It is not, well, I would say it is undead. Uh, 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 (laughs) It is is dead, right? But It's not alive. It's not alive, but it is still lurching around, (laughs) and it is still dangerous. And these guys, you know, when a, when a major party runs on something over and over, gets total control of the government, it tends to find some way to do it. You just can't bet against them. Even though it's not clear what their path is at this point, you just cannot let your eye off the ball. Right. And we learned that in the House, right? At one time we celebrated and thought Mr. Paul Ryan By stepped golly did. in it. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and couldn't get the votes, and so it was dead, but then turned around and whoop, yep. brought it back. And remember... Obamacare took a year plus to pass. It was March of 2010, not 2009, when when, uh, the Affordable Care Act was passed into law. The the one thing here, the saving grace, is that there will be a moment when it is clear that we have moved past at least this moment in the threat in this battle. And that is that because Republicans insist on using special budget rules to pass their health care bill so that it can't be filibustered by Democrats, once they pass the next year's budget rule, which everyone... You know, assuming it it says, okay, this year's budget is going to allow us to pass a tax cut with a special rule, then the special rules allowing them to pass health care will expire, and they won't be able to do this for another when year. When will that be? Well, <laughs> nobody knows. They're prom- I mean, they're if there's anything they like more than taking away health care from regular people, it's giving tax cuts to ultra-rich people. So they were trying to do both at once. Now they're trying to do them one at a time. There's a lot of impatience on the far right to move on to the tax cuts for billionaires. Yeah, so yeah. They... Uh, they used to say that they were going to have this thing pass the the budget, the next budget pass before the August recess. But now, of course, everything's moved back. It could be into this fall. I mean, we have to fight that, too. Their budget, actually, the one that Trump proposed, we don't know what Congress is going to do. Uh, Trump proposed hundreds of billions of dollars in cuts in Medicaid in his budget on top of his proposal for, for cuts in Medicaid in his health care plan. So that's going to be a fight, too. But once they've actually moved on to the next year's budget and to the tax reform fight, you know, the rules are that they can't actually go back to health care until they pass the 2019 budget, which will be a while from now. Right. So, so that's that's the future. But right now we are still in the midst of this thing. OK. So first they talked about repeal and replace. They couldn't get the votes. Then they said, we're just going to repeal. 
Uh, now, who knows, after yesterday's <laughs> lunch with, with Trump, where they, he says, no, I want you to go back to replace and repeal and replace. Um, so M- McConnell says, we're going to have a vote next week. We're going to have a vote to proceed. What is that all about? So when you have a vote in the House, you just vote. When you vote in the Senate, first you have to vote to vote. So you have a vote on what's called a motion to proceed. Under these, uh, the special budget rules they're using, you only need 50 Republican votes in the Senate to proceed to the final. 50 because Mike Pence would break a tie. Exactly. 50 because Mike Pence would break a tie. Right. So once the, if they pass the motion to proceed, then yeah. they enter this, this sort of final phase. There's 20 hours of debate, which is all the debate we're ever going to get on yeah. the bill to There's been know, none so far. Yeah. <laughs> better make it a good debate. It's going to uh-huh. be quick. And then there's something called Votorama, where each side can offer as many amendments as they like. Now, Mitch McConnell's final sales pitch is, I don't care if you like this, if you hate this, whatever. I just want you to get to Votorama, and then we can amend it. We can just amend it. Yeah, it'll be fine. Right. Whatever you want, it'll be fine. That is, that's a, a sucker's game. Do not... Do not accept that for a second. If we get to Votorama, that is dangerous. At that point, they're going to argue to senators who voted to start the <laughs> debate that, that they've already voted for it. They shouldn't flip-flop and vote against it. Yeah. The goal is to stop them from ever getting to that final voting period. And that's why it's so crucial that in the last moment, three Republican women came out against voting on the motion to proceed. We need to hang on to their votes. And frankly, every Republican senator should be politically pressed until they answer to their voters and say whether they would vote to go forward with this thing. They they have to, the senators, look, um, all of them are not that smart, but, you know, me, you got to be pretty dumb not to know what Mitch McConnell <laughs> is up to here, correct? I mean, That's, he's trying to sucker them in to voting to proceed, so then they get on the floor, and then, you know, he's wily enough that he can get a bad bill out, and have, by voting, having voted to proceed, they're going to be, in effect even if they voted against it, making that bad bill possible, correct? That's exactly it. Yeah, then they'd be on the hook. These re- yeah. Any, any yeah. Republican who votes for the motion to proceed is voting to throw <laughs> tens of millions of people off their health care, right. plain and simple. There's no version yeah. of this bill that yeah. doesn't do that. Uh, I, I want to say, you know, there have been repeated <laughs> sort of news cycles where the media say, okay, the protests are dying down. There have been, there's been speculation that maybe now uh, – not not right now. I mean, yeah. like a few weeks ago. Oh, right. and and now there there were you know a series of postmortems written in the news. Some of them said the New York Times said that the Republican Senate effort was doomed from the start. There is nothing more false than that. I mean, every close observer that I talked to, lobbyists working on the Hill, staffers, uh, journalists who'd been covering this for a long time, gave Mitch McConnell overwhelming odds to pass this thing. The only reason why we are at this point now is the incredible incredible united protest that spread everywhere from, you know, the Democratic Socialists of America to America's health insurance plans. Like everyone who touches health care receives health care and is not a uh, billionaire donor or a Republican senator thinks this thing is awful. And that pressure is working. And it was not just here in Washington. First of all, it was here in Washington. It was in the in the Capitol itself and in the, the Senate building, the Hart office building. It yeah. became uh, <laughs> it was amazing. So I was in there yesterday. That yeah. I, that protest. I want to I want to give credit. Housing Works, which is this amazing AIDS <laughs> activist group that came out of ACT UP, the Center for Popular Democracy, which is a network of local community organizations, National Nurses United, which is this mm-hmm. you know amazing yeah. nurses union. Those uh, three groups and a whole bunch of allies got together. They found constituents in every state who were ready to come to Washington D.C. 
protest in the Senate office building, knowing full well that it could mean that they'd be arrested and, yeah. and taken yeah. out with zip ties around their hands. I watched them yesterday in the Hart Senate office building, cheering them on, doctors and nurses explaining what this bill would do to their patients as they were being arrested. Rebecca Wood is a, is a mom whose child was born at one pound, 12 ounces. She would have hit her lifetime limit before she got out of the intensive care unit, that her little girl. Her little girl's yeah. name is Charlie. She, uh, Rebecca found a friend who could take care of Charlie for the day, and Rebecca went to the Senate office building and was arrested to fight for her daughter's life. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that these people are never going to give up. They will never give up in this fight. And that is what these kinds of protests show Republicans, that this is not something they can sweep under the rug and just move on. This is a career-defining, character-defining choice for them, whether they vote for this monstrosity. Yeah. And it's happening here and, you know, at, at senators' offices around the country, right? They go back yes. home to their district yes. office. Those who dare hold town halls like Jerry Moran out in Kansas. Absolutely. And I, gotta, I, I give him credit. Yeah. I, I think every senator who does hold town halls, who tosses, first of all, they'll, they'll wind up voting against this. And secondly, they will get credit for them. For it. Uh, mm-hmm. It does not hurt anyone's political career to vote against this bill. I, I don't want Republicans to get reelected, but I would much rather that they don't pass this bill and they improve their election odds a little bit than that they pass this thing and guarantee their political destruction. Right? When I hear you talk about this, I, I'm reminded of the, the conversation that we had around the Iraq war, right? Like a vote for the Iraq war yeah. f- has followed politicians through their entire careers. Case in point, Hillary Clinton. She, she still had a hard time shaking that, even when she ran last year. This is going to be one of those votes that if you vote to take this away in four years, eight years, ten years, whatever, like for, this is going to be one of those things that will follow you forever. How do they vote on health care? That's it. That's exactly right. And that is because it, it touches everybody's life. Yeah. This is not an abstraction. This right. is... If you're a Republican senator, you go to church five years from now, and a parent is going to tell you how their kid is fighting cancer and they're losing their home because they can't afford the treatment with the kind of health insurance they can get under the Republican plan. I mean, this this is a permanent life, literally life and death issue. There aren't a lot of those in the, the stuff the Senate spends its time on. This is not naming a post office. And the protests, I mean, indivisible groups in every single congressional district, right. in every state, the you know community organizing groups, healthcare groups, all these and just citizens who've never been involved in politics before, not connected to any organization, are just showing up. If you're working in a Republican Senate office in a, in a local state, uh, you know, a district office, maybe in a small town, there are demonstrators outside your office with signs chanting like every week, sometimes every day as you walk in and out of work. Oh, that no. is that is a signal to these Republican senators that this is not a normal issue. This movement has been just extraordinary and it is moving the needle and it, absolutely it has been very very effective you can see you know in these republican senators who who would, they, they talk about that as well yeah know, they hear <laughs> from their constituents and and you know it's not too late to join there's still a lot more a lot, lot more uh a, a lot more time to go a lot more uh, reason to get involved and the way to do so is moveon.org you might even meet, meet ben wickler at one of these <laughs> protests there's, there's one specific thing, which is July 29th. If you uh-huh. go to ourlivesontheline.org, there's going to be a national day of action. Protests here in Washington, protests in cities across the country, ourlivesontheline.org. You can register a new event. If there's not one in your community, you can find one. It'll be Move On and a slew of other groups. We didn't think that the fight would still be happening July 29th. It mm. appears that they're going to continue. So let's yeah. go big and make July 29th a, a knockout blow. Yeah. Nine days from now, ourlivesontheline.org. That's right. right. Okay. So I wanted to ask you, so the other thing McConnell is saying is 
at least who knows what he's saying today, but yesterday. Uh, all right, we're going to do this since we can't get enough votes to repeal and replace. Uh, by the way, it, it, it is noteworthy that after seven and a half years of a campaign slogan, repeal Obamacare, right? They yeah. have. They had no plan at all Stunning. ready to go. It just speaks to Isn't the it? emptiness at the heart of the Republican Party right now. Yeah. Not, and it's frankly, it's not even Republican voters. They were promised a whole bunch of things that I'd be fine with. You know, Trump said he was going to replace it with something better, lower cost that covers everybody. Yeah. I have no problem. If you thought that's what he was going to do and you voted for that, totally makes sense. But your leaders have been betraying you. They have been lying to you about what they want to do. They, they have, have nothing. They have nothing. They have right. nothing. All they have is tax cuts for the ultra-wealthy. That's the one fixed idea in their minds. Right, and uh, health savings accounts. Right. <laughs> God. Yeah. Which, so, frankly, that's If you have a, hundreds a of, of thousands taxes. of dollars to put into, it's a, yeah, it's another tax cut. If you have hundreds of thousands of dollars to put into a uh, uh, health savings account, then you can use that, you know. Yeah, well, if you've got that kind of money, you, this is not a problem <laughs> yeah, for you, I'm guessing right? you already have health insurance. If you uh, have exactly. hundreds of thousands right. of dollars for your health savings account. So my question is, so we know, so if they don't have enough votes to refill and replace, then McConnell says, at least he was saying this two days ago, well, let's just repeal. After all, you voted, we passed this in 2015, so this should be easy for you since we did it before in 2015. Let's just do it again, right? Repeal only, and then two di- two years from now, trust us, we'll come up with a plan. Someone was saying it's like a surgeon who says, uh, okay, we're going to do a heart transplant, but I don't have another heart ready, so let's just <laughs> take your heart out. <laughs> then we'll talk. That sounds like a really, really, really <laughs> bad idea. Uh-huh, no, it sounds think... like a Mitch McConnell idea. Yeah, an idea so stupid that it could have only been dreamt <laughs> up by Mitch McConnell but, and Donald Trump. You know, it's worth... Noting that the Congressional Budget Office released their score right away yesterday. And what they pointed out is that if you repeal and quote-unquote delay, in the first year, before all the Obamacare provisions have been pulled out, in the first year, 17 million people lose their health insurance coverage. That's the first year. That's before the two-year delay is over. Yeah. And the reason for that is that if you tear this market up, all the insurers fall out, the premiums skyrocket, Everything immediately starts crumbling to dust. Like, there is no delay here. There's no, you know, pass this bill and then you get a, this waiting period to come up with the next bill. It's repeal and delay is just, it's it's really uh, repeal and go screw yourself. That That's, you <laughs> yeah. know, to paraphrase our, our friends at Pod Save America who use a, a yeah. more intense word. <laughs> this is, it's, it is, it is a bill that just punches constituents in the face and then walks away. Right. And, um... And again, Mitch McConnell will say there'll be no consequences if we did this. And we know the reason they did it in 2015 was because Barack, they knew Barack Obama would veto exactly. it. Exactly. It was easy, cheap points. This is one of the, it is, just to go back to this, one of the weird ironies of this is that our side is all trying to save Republicans from themselves. Like, that is true. Yeah. You know, we, right. we, we know that if they pass this thing, tons of people get hurt and then they would all lose their offices. And frankly, they, <laughs> they they wouldn't get them back anytime soon. Like this is they would not be able to walk away from this. And we've seen the Republicans intentionally screw things up and hurt people because they knew Democrats would take the fall for it. And we're not doing that. And that I remember a long time ago, John Nichols, uh, the the journalist. I was great friend. Yeah, he's a great guy. So I was at the Democratic and Republican conventions in 2004, and I remember just a different feeling in the air. And I asked him. I was at the Republican convention with him. I was there with Al Franken at the time, and. And I asked uh, uh, who I was working for, I asked John Nichols, you know, what's so different? And he said, Ben, 
Democrats get involved in politics to help people. Republicans get involved in politics to win. And it mm-hmm. just like, wow. I fast forward to now, you know, Republicans trying to stop the Affordable Care Act because they knew that a failure on the ACA would hurt Democrats and that passing the ACA would help Democrats because they knew it would be popular. So they tried to stop it. Their focus was winning. Now, we know if they pass Trump care, it'll hurt people. So we're trying to stop it. And and they think that, that they will, uh, you know, that they just want to win. Well, the other thing that we hear over and over again, of course, is that um, Obamacare is in a death spiral. Obamacare is failing. And as Trump, Donald Trump says, we'll just, at least two days ago again, his message was different yesterday, we'll just repeal it. Let Obamacare die, which is dying anyhow, and then Democrats are going to come to us and beg us. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This, is so, this is, you know, when you're spinning in circles, it might seem like the world is spinning, but it's really just you. And that's my, that's my <laughs> message to these Republicans. The, uh, What's the truth about Obamacare? The truth about Obamacare is that it is stabilizing. Uh, there are, I think, 25,000. It's amazing, by the way. That it is not in a oh death spiral, given all the bad mouthing, right? That- they are trying to sabotage it in all these different ways, and yet yeah. it is proving tougher and more resilient than anyone imagined. I mean, let's let's be clear: there are a lot of things that should be better about it. There, there, you know, Republicans and Democrats are absolutely right that deductibles are too high for many people. Not everybody's covered. Those are real problems. You solve those problems. Prescription drugs, prescription drugs out yeah. of control. Down the line, you solve those things by moving left. <laughs> you know, you solve those things by passing a more progressive plan. We should have a public option. We should have, frankly, we should have Medicare for all. But Obamacare itself, the the structure is solid. It is sound. And the sabotage things that they've been doing are not nearly enough. Insurance insurance companies almost everywhere are staying in the market. It's actually structured so that if you get down to uh, one insurance company, there's enormous benefits to that company to stay in rather than going to zero. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why so many places where they say that we're about to go to zero insurance companies one company winds up coming back in. There are small things sure, you can do no to make comp- it better. Yeah, no exactly. competition. Yeah. 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 Now, again, public, op- public option, competition, much better idea, right? Absolutely. But, the, but the, the truth is that most of the people who are getting care right now, thanks to the ACA, are there because of the Medicaid expansion, which is an unqualified, yeah. smashing success. Well, and right. then the individual markets are now stable and working better than ever, and it makes a world of difference to the the people that need it and the people that want the peace of mind and knowing that they have the uh, they have the insurance when they need it uh, to be able to go on get subsidies and, and tax credits to be able to buy an insurance plan something that Republicans never talk about is that if premiums go up so do the credits so do the tax credits that people get to help them buy their care and so mm. you know mm-hmm. there actually there actually is an autom- automatic correction built right in which is why the number of people with insurance keeps on climbing instead of going down this the the Affordable Care Act, for all of its flaws, which are real, it is an extraordinary success. It is an extraordinary step forward in the moral evolution of this country, and that is one reason why so many people are fighting with everything they've got to stop the Republicans. And from the clear it away. path is, as you've indicated, it seems to me, and Democrats have said, "Hey, in a heartbeat, we're there." Is identify the problems with Obamacare and get together Republicans and Democrats and fix those problems. Absolutely, and you could get it. You get eighty-five votes for it. Absolutely, I mean, and yeah. I mean, here's the funny thing: Can you imagine a better day for Donald Trump than announcing that he's achieved a bipartisan victory to oh, improve no, the right, Affordable Care Act right. to, to fix Obamacare? Oh, no. I mean, let's. I am perfectly comfortable handing them that political victory and making people's lives better. Let's let's do it, folks. He we can defeat him on be everything else. Like a pig in you know what? I mean, yeah. he would be in glory. 
and the East Room having, you know, Chuck Schumer on one side, Mitch McConnell on the other, Nancy and Paul Ryan, and so we did it, I did it, we yeah, brought everybody right? together, and that's 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 really you that's know. the thing. I know, and they, they think he's just stuck in this mindset where for him to win, someone else has to lose, someone else has to suffer. I mean, that is at the core of Trump's view of the world. And well put, God, yeah. we're living through that right now. Or are we ever? So the website again is uh, where you find out how you can rally and make your voice heard on July 29. Right, is ourlivesonthelineorg dot org, and it's not just here in Washington, right? It's no, everywhere across the country. And again, if there's not yet mm-hmm. a protest plan in your town, <laughs> you can register one right there. And moveon.org will recruit our members to to go there. Also. Again, sign up for Move On. Sign up for our text message alerts because when things happen really fast, yeah. we will text you if there's no time to send an email. All right. At moveon.org, you can do move that. Moveon.org. Well. All right. Ben, you're leading the charge here uh, with great success, but as you point out, uh, it ain't over yet, right? No, no, no. Got to keep up the fight. Keep up the fight. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Keep Thanks the zombie dead. Thanks so much. We'll make it back. It. Cameron Joseph <laughs> joins us. Talking Points this Memo. Friend of is Bill. the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, Donald Trump has a uh, big message for his attorney general. I wish I had never appointed you. How do you like that? (laughs) Good morning, Jeff Sessions. (laughs) And good morning to all of you here on the Bill Press Show this Thursday, July 20. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us across the nation here, uh, coast to coast, with all the news of the day coming to you from our studio on Capitol Hill, of course, and there is lots to talk about. Yes, indeed, Donald Trump telling the New York Times yesterday, he, I wish I'd never appointed that son of a bitch. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> uh, but he said the first part. He didn't call him an SOB. He called him worse, actually. Um, I won't say that on the air here, but no. Uh, <laughs> he also now says, um, what's the big deal about my uh, one-on-one with uh, Vladimir Putin, which uh, was never announced uh, and never reported on. What's the big deal? Uh, we just sat there for an hour um, and talked about adoptions, uh, as translated by a translator who spoke only Japanese and didn't speak Russian. Yeah, so we're supposed to believe that. Uh, and, yes, Donald Trump telling senators yesterday, forget what I said yesterday about just repealing Obamacare. No, I want you to go back now. I want you to repeal it and replace it. And guess what? I'm taking away your train, your plane tickets. You are not going to leave Washington until you do exactly what I say, children. Uh, all of that to talk about. We need some help. We got it from Cameron Joseph, if you will, senior political correspondent for Talking Points Memo. 
Hi, Cam. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. Fun new title, this huh? morning. I appreciate I, it. It's, no, it's Purple Day. Someone <laughs> didn't get the memo. No, it is right? Purple Day, right? Right. <laughs> all right. Good to have you with us, and we will jump into all the news of the day with you. Always look forward to your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Today is a big day. It's an anniversary for Donald Trump. It is his six-month anniversary. So Mark Knoller, who does a pretty damn good job of uh, keeping up to date on all the different uh, stats from the White House, he has a couple different things. 42 bills signed into law, 258 speeches and remarks, 30 executive orders, 13 news conferences, only one of them has been a solo news conference, 16 states visited. He's visited. By the way, you don't really count these ones where he does with foreign leaders. I don't disagree with you. Where they take two questions and no. no, I don't disagree with you. Uh, Eight nations visited, one trip to Camp David, 33 visits to golf clubs. That are all, all owned Donald by Trump him. Golf clubs, sixty flights on Air Force One, and forty-eight media interviews. Thirteen of those were given to Fox. Of course, one other <laughs> statistic there that Mark didn't put in: nine hundred ninety-one tweets since he became president. What? Nine hundred ninety-one tweets. That's that's five a day. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I'd just... say that's. I mean, look, you don't tweet that much, Bill. No. But that's... I haven't like, done for 900 in my life. No, you haven't written 900 tweets in your life. No. You're, the, Bill, the BP Show account has. Yes. Yeah. All right. The ghostwriters. You, you have some growing up to do in the Twitter sphere. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Like the president is outpacing you, Bill. You don't want to be left behind. <laughs> uh, but my Go tweets are substantive. Yeah, quality, not quality, quantity. Exactly. That's it. A uh, nine-year-old kid by the name of Jude Sparks lives in New Mexico. He was out on a hike with his parents. He tripped and fell, and he landed literally on top of a massive skull. It was a stego mastodon skull that had shown itself because of erosion. Turns out it is millions of years old. Mm. And so they have turned this over to the Mexico Museum of Natural uh, History and Science. They've got it out. They excavated it. They took it out. They're taking looks at it. Taking a look at it. But how cool is that? He just, like, fell. They should name it for him. Yeah, right? Hey, dude. Kid's name is Jude Sparks. Mm -hmm. That's a great name. Right? Yeah, it really is. You knew something great was going to happen to that kid, right? Yeah. (laughs) Name it Destiny. All right. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Well, what do you say? Great to see you. Thursday, July 20, The Bill Press Show from Washington, D.C. We originate, but we end up right alongside of you, wherever you are in this great land of ours, uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also joining you on Free Speech TV out in the Chicago area on WCPT, of course, uh, all over the Chicago land. And um, we invite you again to check out our podcast. It's up every day. Go to BillPressShow.com. Uh, join the podcast. And don't forget to tell us uh, what you think about it. Plus, uh, for very special content, uh, exclusively stuff that you won't see on the podcast or on the show every day, 
Uh, you can check out patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And Peter, some new stuff. Yeah, we put the put up. we put the interview up with Eric Altieri, the executive director of Normal. Where um, shock of shocks, you guys shared a joint while you were no, talking. No, he about. was he was the one who was. Uh, I, I believe the camera caught you smoking that joint, buddy. Um, <laughs> Four twenty episode. No, this is what we did like earlier this week. Bill just loves to bring memories a little hazy. Yeah, Bill just no. loves to bring people in and get high with them. Yeah, you you know, look, Cameron, you would you would appreciate this, right? You cannot have a, it's, it's rude if you have a guest in. For a drink, you have to have a drink with that guest, right? I'm gonna. He's just polite. Step away from this one, but I'm not gonna argue with you on this. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Anyway, aside from the fact that you guys get high I'm together, you polite. also talk all kinds of substantive policy yes, about, about where the Trump where administration we are. Right. Is. You got in the weeds on it. Yeah, yeah, we got in the weeds oh, on it, so to speak. So. Uh, Welcome to the jungle. Yeah. And later on today, and so that's up there now. That's uh, up there now. Uh, it's five bucks a month. You get in there, you get all kinds of free con or all kinds of content, including that conversation plus your parting shot. And they were putting up another interview today with a reporter named Sophia Resnick, who worked on a um, a documentary all about the latest fight for abortion access, uh, which uh, is not something that people talk a lot about. No, but it's an incredible story, uh, uh, Cam. About they look at just two. Clinics, reproductive health clinics around the country, one of which, which is like incredibly difficult to even access because of all the protests outside and everything and no police protection at all, uh, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then they look at one which actually, again, there are protesters, but the police, there's access it's, and it's a, it's, it is accessible uh, in Fargo, North Dakota, of all places. Hmm. Yeah. So it's two, you know, kind of tale of two cities almost. It's uh uh, it's quite quite compelling documentary. At any rate, it's good to see you. Let me ask you this. Let's start here. Um, if you're Jeff Sessions today, <laughs> uh, how do you wake up and go to the Department of Justice and face your staff when your boss says the night before, I wish I'd never hired him, I, and I would not have if I had known what he was going to do? I mean, it ain't easy, although I do think that there, to some extent, with the career people there, having Donald Trump go after you like this might get some of the people who are really wary of you and wary of your pretty draconian policies, which are 180 degrees from where the Obama administration was, right. uh, rallying in your corner. Uh, so I don't think this is all terrible for Jeff Sessions internally, but if he does, if the president doesn't have his back. And clearly he doesn't. This is a huge problem for him, if, especially if he gets into fights with Congress. I mean, you're, you're seeing uh, fights over over seizure and forfeiture of property that he's already getting into with the more libertarian Republicans on the Hill. Uh, you see him moving towards a 1980s mentality on drugs and incarceration, which frankly is you know, maybe even a 1950s mentality and where he's always been on this. Yeah, right. Uh, and something that, that people in both parties and the Koch brothers definitely don't agree with him on. Uh, and, you know, when those things start to come to a head in terms of legislation, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I don't think Donald Trump's going to get involved, but if Donald Trump isn't there fighting in his corner, who's going to win those battles? And he might be fighting those himself. Will, will or should Jeff Sessions just resign? I mean, if this were a British system, mm -hmm. right, and the prime minister or, or whatever said, I have no confidence anymore in my foreign yeah. minister, the foreign minister would just resign, right? I think if this was a normal year in the American system, the 
you know, the secretary of whatever would just resign at that point, yeah. too. I mean, if this is a normal year, the president wouldn't be publicly saying that. If there were any normal, yeah. anything normal yeah. about this administration. Um, but, yeah, I mean, how can you stay like if he said that about Jeff Tillerson, you'd have to believe that Jeff Tillerson would say, fine, if you don't have Rex, confidence in yeah. me or Rex, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. Right. Yes and no. I mean, really? I, 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 yeah. I think a lot of these guys feel that they're serving their country and are, I think, a little more used to the president's outbursts, for uh -huh. lack of a better descriptor, than some of us are. I think this happens a lot behind the scenes, and we get flashes of this publicly. Yeah, right. Um, but right. Trump <clears throat> tends to get very angry and blow his top and hold grudges, and then sometimes those people get back in his good graces. Uh, and, you know, we've seen that time and again with him, you know, firing campaign people and then them being all of a sudden he's talking to them privately. And this this kind of cycle of he gets pissed at whoever he's been dealing with and then he cycles back to the, the person who had right. fallen out of favor before. Uh, so I mean, this is clearly a grudge that he's held a long time, that he's furious at Jeff Sessions for his part in, you know, essentially blaming him for this Russia investigation mm -hmm. when you know, somehow it's not his son's fault for meeting yeah, with right. yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so there's so many things here. Uh, but and, and you know, I've heard privately that Jared Kushner has fallen out of favor some because of partially because of all the Russia stuff uh, and the headaches that it's giving Trump. But I mean, there was talk on the Hill, and people looked into this, and it turns out it's too late for Jeff Sessions to quit and run for his Senate seat again. In that special election, so like mm. pe people were speculating. Oh, about really? This. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, heard that. Uh, yeah. Other reporters like looked into this. Uh, I think Sungman Kim was was tweeting about this over at Politico. Yeah. Uh, that it's too late for him to get in on that well, special election. Now, in this interview, he didn't just go after Jeff Sessions. Uh, that that's been getting the headlines. He also went after James Comey again, mm -hmm. saying that when Comey and came and Mueller, yeah, I was going to get to Mueller next, but when that when Comey came to him with uh, that um, private little dossier, wanted him to know that this was circulating out there. And they also, they briefed President Obama on it. Uh, so this was before the first of the year, right? That Trump now says that Comey was just trying to set him up, that he intended to use that against him. and uh, Yeah, you, you hang it over his head, over which, his... which is ironic because Comey, at least according to Comey, was going there to say, hey, they have they they're claiming they have this compromise this compromising information on you. Yeah. I wanted you to know this, and Trump is now taking it to up. protect him basically. Right. Yeah. At, at least now is taking this as well. He was threatening me with it. I, uh, I wasn't in the meeting. James Comey, the facts that have come out after the fact after his testimony have backed up everything he said so far, and he's got a fairly good reputation as an honest broker. Whatever else you think of uh, some of his deviations from from normal procedure uh, while he on a, on was former job, thing. yeah, uh, and, and and how he's yeah. handled the Trump stuff and how he's been so right. public. I mean, he he's not the normal uh, FBI completely. director. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it seems unlikely to me that James Comey was trying to blackmail Donald Trump, and especially given how Donald was publicly bear-hugging him two weeks later. And, right. I mean, it, it, this is just all over the map. Uh, and, you know, he said, you know, double, quadrupled, quintupled down on it was the right thing for America for me to fire James Comey. Um, and then was sniping about the current guy investigating right. Trump and Russia. So which, he also, also went after uh, James Mueller, or, or 
Robert Mueller. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that Say, is He didn't more say he was going to fire him, but he sort of didn't fully rule it out. Right. I mean, right. I, I, I have to go back and read the full transcript, but he sounded like he wished he could. You know, I mean, it was it was he was super critical of him. He was basically questioning all the, these these supposed conflicts of interests, and that would be a firestorm, I think, larger than anything we've seen so far. Like the Comey firing clearly was a firestorm and led to two weeks of Comey and his allies leaking things, and led to and, a special counsel and a special counsel and Comey's testimony in front of Congress and a bunch of really rough weeks that essentially derailed anything the administration was trying to do. Uh, and I think him firing Mueller would n also not have the intended effect if that's what he was trying to do, was was, was pour water on the Russian investigation. That would might be a, a different, more flammable substance. Now, one issue that we've uh, discovered is probably uh, the most important issue that uh, in terms of the Trump White House, and that is um, the adoption rules with hmm. Russia. Because... There was a special meeting um, on June 9, 2016, at Trump Tower, where they talked about nothing but adoption. And then President Obama, press, I keep saying that, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I know it's wishful thinking. Old habits. But President Trump and Vladimir Putin spent an hour, now we know, in uh, Hamburg, Germany at the G20, uh, yeah. talking about nothing but adoption. This is just, and pleasantries and how delicious and, the dessert is, I'm sure. Pleasantries, too, right? yeah, exactly. Um, uh, let's start with the Trump senior meeting. The White House says this is no big deal. It was not a private meeting. There were all the other world leaders were in the room and were making too much of it. I mean, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I think that honestly, Trump, after having a two hour meeting before that was scheduled to be a half hour meeting with, with Putin that we got a, ostensibly a pretty good readout of. Uh, he went and, and had this unscripted, unscheduled, uh, <laughs> unplanned meeting that I think he probably just blundered into, honestly. I don't I, I, I think that like likely Putin was sitting near Melania and Trump walked over and ended up engaged in a conversation that he hadn't planned to necessarily be talking to Putin for 45 minutes or an hour. Uh, why did but, he if so, why did he take his translator with him? I think the guy was probably just following him. Mm -hmm. I mean, Putin's translator or Trump's translator? No, Trump's translator, who did not speak Russian. Right. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like how, how useful was that guy? <laughs> uh, I mean, Putin speaks pretty dang good English. So I, I don't really know how much of a translator issue there was there. I do think and, and in front of all of those people, I mean, the optics of it are so obviously terrible for Trump. And they had to know this is going to come out. I mean, if he'd been thinking about that, he would have known it was going to come out. I don't think he ran this by anybody. I don't think this was uh, like, uh, no, I think you're hey, right about Secretary that, Tillerson, but... I'm going to go do this. Oh, Mr. President, that sounds like a great idea. That didn't happen. Like, this is the thing is he's and, and you saw this again with this New York Times interview. The only person who knew about that New York Times interview go ahead of time, it seems, was Hope Hicks, who is Donald Trump's basically body lady, who's you know, a yeah. loyal foot soldier for him since before he was in the campaign, was at the Trump Organization before then, uh, and is, you, you know, considered, had been considered a relatively junior staffer, but clearly has the trust of the president and is very much in the inner circle. But all of his senior advisors and all of the people who are supposed to be in charge of... Communications? Who, yeah. 
and his attorneys, it sounds like, weren't looped in on this. He go, he does whatever the heck he wants to do without thinking about the consequences. And right. so uh, I think that it is worrisome that he's meeting with Putin and, and who knows what he's promised and agreed to. And I think you saw with us all of a sudden not arming certain people in Syria that Putin wanted us not arming, that yeah, we had been yeah. arming. Putin says um, you have to stop that program. Yeah, we, so it's, Donald it's, Trump it's, um, Yeah, and it, I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm not a Syria expert, uh, and I wasn't in that meeting, but it seems like there's probably a connection there. Uh, this is problematic, and it's problematic not necessarily because there's some grand conspiracy necessarily, but because he keeps blundering into these things without thinking about the consequences. And mm-hmm. Whether or not Trump, you know, Russia has something on Trump, and we'll see where this Mueller investigation, the FBI goes, uh, it's a, still a big question. I'm not prejudging and, any of that, but even if he there is nothing there, this is still hugely problematic. Yeah, and, it is. Peter pointed out earlier that you know there was this; uh, these things happen at these summits, right? Mm-hmm. Where there are people bump into each people other, people bump into each other. Yeah, there's a lot of right. du- ducking. You know, some of these are accidental, some of these very intentional, exactly, some of these right. diving out of camera view. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Peter pointed out that Obama. So Obama did this with Putin at one point. There was a little sidebar conversation, but you know, Obama's standing there with Susan Rice on one side and uh, somebody else like on the other, right? And they're chatting, but and translators and translators that right? actually know the language. Yeah, with, with this, there was the only translator who knew what both of them were saying was the Russian translator, right? And yeah. there was nobody from the White House, nobody right. from the State Department. Nobody from NSA or whatever, or from Congress, you know, and so God knows what they talked about. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that gets us to the uh, the other big adoption meeting was uh, uh, at Trump Tower. Uh, now that we know there were eight people involved in the meeting, uh, and um, inc- <laughs> the latest is the the representative of the businessman, former business partner in Moscow, and that family that he wanted yeah. somebody there to represent him. Uh, significance of that meeting, and do you think it's true that Donald Trump Sr. knew nothing about it? I honestly don't know. I don't think he was always looped in. That was a very haphazard campaign with this very is his poor communication son. problems. This is his son and his former business I, partner. You know how says, I said I have pe- dirt on I was Hillary. just talking about how Donald Trump impulsively did things without often telling people, like father, like son. <laughs> so I don't honestly know. I, I and I'm not going to speculate on, oh, of course, with all I, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's telling that Paul Manafort, who has been doing this for 30 years and clearly had some more than some Russia ties, uh, especially after all of his work in the Ukraine uh, and and Kushner and the fact that that really the entire major brain trust of the campaign was there at this point, I think tell is telling that this isn't just a, a one off meeting. Uh, especially given those emails that Don Jr. put out where it was like, hey, we have intel on Hillary. Whether they realized that or not, that that was as hugely problematic or as it was, uh, I honestly don't know. It's one of those, is this a grand conspiracy or was this just really dumb and we don't know and maybe it's both. Was but it collusion? I think it depends what they got in that meeting. I think there was an intent for collusion. I think that it, it, it it's seems, hard to judge. It's hard to come to any other vague, conclusion from the emails, right? That we've got. They were offering something theoretically. They were and I mean, Donald Trump's response was, "Bring it on! I love it." Yeah. Well, and the question is, I mean, like you know, that there, there's different. Lo- I mean, if if this was like 
public information that they had or things you know, that came from meetings. If this was the stolen information from the DNC, that, that the hacks that had happened right around this time, would they start leaking out later in the summer? That seems pretty clear what that is to me. We don't know what was in that meeting. And I think that I got to imagine now that we have eight people there, one of those people is going to decide it's probably a better idea to talk to the FBI yeah. about this than Well, I not. think they may not have a choice about talking with the FBI. I mean, this this eight, this eight number a, eight guy a, a already helpful, got a call from Robert Mueller's team saying, we want to talk to you. A witness right? is a big difference than eight people climbing up. Yeah. At the same time, you know, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a he said, she said. Cause, but, but when you have a meeting that big, when, when you know, it, it's, it's prisoner's dilemma – when you know somebody else is talking, you think somebody else is talking. You better get in in yeah, the jailer's yeah. good graces too. So, uh, it's likely to me that we're going to eventually know what happened, or at least have a decent sense of what happened in that meeting. It's hugely problematic, and then and what this is doing to you know Republican congressional agenda, I think, cannot be understated in terms of how much distraction this is and how problematic this is for the Obamacare repeal, and for anything else they're trying to do. And you know, I was talking to, to a, a very senior uh, Senate Republican, a, you know, former aide yesterday, who was basically, you know, we were talking and about, you know, what they're trying to do, and if Obamacare falls out, what do they do mm. next, and how long the timeline do they really have before 2018? Yeah, and I want to get to it. It's like, but uh, what about the Russia, you know, like, as soon oh. as this Russia report drops, what are, what are they going to pass legislatively? How are they going to do anything at that point, you know? Uh, no, it's, it it derails everything they're trying to do, it, yeah. uh, and and they can't seem to get away with it, um, get away from it. Yeah, right? um, and I mean, it, sometimes it's it's offered them cover. You know, when all the news is about Russia, they can do things on the Hill, and even if it's major Obamacare things that normally would look really bad on front pages, it's been pushed to page three. Uh, so it's helped them sometimes, but. This is, I mean, the administration's clearly very distracted with Russia, and they're not help, as helpful on the Hill as they could be because of this. Cameron Joseph with us uh, now with a Talking Points Memo, senior political correspondent. I was just uh, thinking, Peter, we haven't had any Trump tweets this morning. Have you been following? I haven't seen any Trump tweets. I don't My think he's tweeted yet Yeah. No, I don't have any either. Man, no, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's tweeted yet. Is he awake yet? <laughs> His last tweet was at uh, was last night at uh, ten thirty three. John McCain. Where he told you, yeah, John McCain to get well soon. Um, almost two years to the day after him saying that he wasn't a war hero, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Um, uh, you, you you alluded to this, and I wanted to ask you. So uh, you uh, follow Congress pretty closely, and we have seen this just. Um, Kind of every day the story changes on health care, repeal and replace one, repeal and replace two, neither one of them works, so then we're just going to repeal only because uh, that's going to be easy to vote for because they did it in 2015, and it turns out that's not going to fly either. And Donald Trump says one day, Tuesday, just repeal it and let Obamacare die, and then he invites them all down to lunch yesterday at the White House and says, no, you must repeal and replace before you go home. Here he is again talking to them like like school children. We can repeal, but we should repeal and replace, and we shouldn't leave town until this is complete, until this bill is on my desk, and until we all go over to the Oval Office, I'll sign it and we can celebrate for the American people. So you're not going to go home until you do exactly what I say. I mean, what is going on? I mean, do they have a direction? No, 
I mean, they, they basically <laughs> scrambled to have this this late night meeting last night. Uh, oh with yeah, all of the people, all of the senators who, you know, have qualms about the bill. Some some uh, more than half of them would have voted for it. But I mean, the thing is, you can lose three. By the senators. way, the team. I, I just want to point out that mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell says we're going to fix this because Mike Pence and Tom Price and this woman who's had uh, I forget Seema Verma. Seema Verma. Yeah, at CMS. Yeah, Th- yeah, at CMS. We're, they're going to come up the hill, and they're going to explain it to everybody, and they're going to bring everybody around. This, these are the same three that went to Providence, Rhode Island last weekend with their little dog and pony show to the nation's governors and were basically left out of town. Right? I mean, yeah. the Republican governor said it was a very unproductive meeting. Yeah, and I think, honestly, the, the two Republicans that have been most problematic for this – are not been the ones in D.C. I think that Brian Sandoval, the governor of Nevada, and John Kasich in mm-hmm. Ohio, uh, going after this bill as hard as they have, have created huge problems because in Nevada, Sandoval likes the Medicaid expansion, has been fighting hard for it and against this bill, and Sandoval is hugely popular. Dean Heller is a Republican senator there yeah. who has been all over the place. and yeah, He's been everywhere and nowhere on this bill. He doesn't want to say what he thinks basically ever. And he's stuck between a rock and a hard place because he's facing a tough re-election, needs Sandoval's support, but also needs the Trump base in the state um, in a blue-trending state. He's the only Republican up in a Hillary state next year. Uh, and because of Sandoval's strong support, he basically, I, I mean, he's, he's signaled, like, you support this bill. I'm not going to be nearly as helpful to you and vice versa. I'm going to be your best ally if you oppose this bill. And Donald Trump is telling him just the opposite, which he did yesterday. Yeah, he threatened Dean Heller right alongside of him. Yeah. And on camera, basically, said, you'll do the right thing or else. Right. And it's notable that Trump did lose that state. Uh, So it's, I think, interesting to see how that dance is taking place. Uh, And, you know, Portman in Ohio has been very critical of this bill and one of the fiercest defenders of the states that expanded Medicaid, and that mm-hmm. is partially because of, of Kasich. Kasich. And I mean, I think Portman, you know, independently, you know, understands this stuff very well. And but the fact that Kasich was fighting this publicly and this hard for it put Portman in a position where where he had backup and he had to keep defending this at home. And so those two have been really key in this. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about Rand Paul uh, screaming about right. how everything is terrible and. and hating everything about this bill even when it changes to his favor and we, we've talked a lot about Susan Collins who's been a hard no because from you know the center because of all the Medicaid stuff those two governors really matter a lot too and you know as as sad and tragic as, as John McCain's cancer is and I you know he's an American hero and has always been a complete gentleman uh, in my interactions with him and 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 you know I, I, I really feeling for his family but this also matters a lot for this bill because they can lose zero votes with McCain there. Mm -hmm. And if McCain is unable to vote, I mean, I'm just keep getting flashbacks to when they passed Obamacare. It's the same exact, it's the same cancer that Ted Kennedy had that felled him. Oh, right. That kept them from having the votes and ended up dragging the six out six months more and made it a much worse bill because they didn't have the votes to get it done. Uh, Without McCain there, you know, I mean, it was just already looking bleak for them to pass this. Uh, I and McCain was no guaranteed. He was sure no guarantee vote. either. Yeah, and, and unlike Ted Kennedy, who I think if he physically could have been wheeled to the floor to vote for this, this is his life's work. He would have. 
McCain was not crazy about this bill. Now, I think McCain, for something he really cared about, I could see him getting in a Winnebago with a doctor and an IV because you know, yeah, he can't get right. on a plane yeah. or, or, you know, being medevaced yeah. back to D.C. to vote on something. But not uh, on this, this. Is, this is, yeah. This is not, not his thing. We'll find out more about uh, where this goes uh, and um, whether Democrats are, uh, whom Donald Trump just says have been nothing but obstructionists in the healthcare battle, whether they are standing by and willing maybe to, you know, save the day for the Republicans uh, by making them look better, by sitting down and working with them uh, to come up with a bipartisan health care bill. Um, and nobody better to speak about that than Congresswoman Rosa DeLara, our good friend from Connecticut, uh, joins us with Cameron Joseph here uh, in just a couple of minutes. Stay tuned for this Thursday edition of The Bill Press Show and Congressman Rosa DeLaro. Hang out till November 8th. Get out and vote. And then all we're going to say is we love you and we will remember you always. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, July 20, hello, friends and neighbors. Uh, welcome to the program, The Bill Press Show. Thank you for being with us today as we uh, discuss and debate the issues of the day, uh, all of them, everything happening here in our nation's capital, around the country, or around the globe. We're coming to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we are brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Boy, we all um, respect and are grateful for the great job that the men and women of our fire departments across the land do. They're on the front lines every day protecting uh, American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger, and we uh, salute them for their good work, thank them, and thank them for the support of the program. You can find out more about the, the work of the firefighters at IAFF.org. Speaking about fighters, uh, there's no better fighter for uh, progressivism for the American people in the United States Congress than our good friend from Connecticut, Rosa, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, who also uh, is an author taking time out. I don't know whether this is your first book or first not, book. but uh, it is. First book. Called, appropriately, The Least Among Us, Waging the Battle for the Vulnerable. Congresswoman, it's good to see you. Wonderful to be here. It really is. And a neighbor on Capitol Hill, I should, I should add as well. Uh, we run into each other in the neighborhood quite often. Uh, and Cameron Joseph still with us from uh, Talking Points Memo, uh, senior political correspondent. Uh, so, Congresswoman, why are Democrats being so obstructionist? Why are you Democrats standing in the way of passing good health care legislation? Uh. Well, look, I says I, our president says the president. Right. But uh, I, I think it's quite remarkable what's happened. And uh, both in the House and in the in the, in the Senate, that first um, uh, episode where uh, Paul Ryan had to take his trip to the White House and say, look, we don't have the votes. Uh, that meant that there were Democrats in, uh, in unity and opposition. Uh, and it also meant that we had 34 Republicans who said no that they weren't going to do this, not because of, and all of this is predicated, and it's not because of members of Congress 
driving the train. It is about the American people and their motivation and their activism uh, on this issue. And what is so interesting uh, to, to me, and by the way, the bill passed in the House, but it was not a health care bill. This was about, uh, you know, Bill Press, what would you like for your vote? You know, Cameron, what would you like for your vote? So it was cobbled together in yeah. order to say, well, we, we uh, uh, you know, we defeated uh, the Affordable Care Act. But what is so interesting to me, uh, which gets to the, the book that I wrote, is that, and I look at the Senate now, and for the first time in a very, very long time, we are seeing that uh, senators and Republican senators uh, have come to accept the concept that the government has a role to play in delivering health care. That's new. That's different. So now where the Republicans have gone, and when you take a look at the budget, which is the next battle here, yeah. is the budget is that they are now, uh, uh, because they couldn't get rid of Medicare and Medicaid uh, uh, through uh, the affordable uh, health care um, um, mechanism, they've now shifted that to a $487 billion cut to Medicare, a $1.5 trillion cut to Medicaid. In the budget. In their budget that they passed, that came out of committee yesterday. Now, what that means is, Medicare as we know it, gone. Medicaid as we know it, gone, which has been a singular issue. We haven't seen an attack like this, and it's much worse than what Newt Gingrich did mm -hmm. when he was there. Mm -hmm. And I speak about that in the book because, you know, he talked about $270 billion cut to Medicare. We beat him. <laughs> we beat him, and we can beat them again. Yeah. Uh, that's when he said, wasn't it, that let Medicare wither, wither on, on the vine? vine. <laughs> I don't forget. forget. <laughs> I don't right. forget. But are these cuts in Medicare and Medicaid over and above what the Republican repeal and replace bill would do, right? Well, that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. On top of that. On top of that, which was so interesting when we were, when they didn't, it was no budget resolution yet. The budget committee had not met or come to any agreement, and they were doing that uh, yesterday while... Uh, some of us were doing appropriations nonstop. Uh, but uh, is that the, the cut to Medicaid, if you repeal the Affordable Care Act, it's about $772 billion. Then you take a look at where they were going in the budget, which was another $610 billion. So over 1.3, 1.5, and now yeah. we know $1.5 trillion cut to Medicaid. Astounding. Yeah. Now, but, but uh, you know, with all due respect, you didn't answer my question about what Democrat or why sure. Democrats are obstructionists, because obviously I don't think you have been. But let's so let me put it another way. Yeah. Are Democrats ready? Yes. To sit down and work with Republicans. Let, let, me, let me just tell you, Democrats are ready. Look, we knew when we passed the Affordable Care Act, some of us wanted a public option. Some of us wanted to deal with reinsurance to help to bring premiums down. Uh, or we were looking prescription at drugs. prescription drugs, yeah. et cetera. Those were the issues. We couldn't get that done in this bill. We passed it. We knew that there had to be fixes. You know, several months ago, um, the, uh, uh, the leader and uh, the Energy and Commerce Committee, Ways and Means, uh, education and workforce, they solicited ideas um, from Democrats of what we would do 
uh, to fix. This yeah. is months ago. I submitted my memo, which I pulled out again, which was in March, uh, and many, many others of my colleagues. We have thought about this. I can tell you what my memo says. Prescription drugs. It talks about taking Medicare, uh, letting people at age 55 mm. uh, be able to buy in. It talks about a public option. It talks about tax credits to help people deal with the cost of deductibles. Uh, it talks about auto enrollment. It talks about a whole variety of things which we need to discuss. Yes, and, and uh, uh, you know the the leader is spot on and where she's going and talking about these issues. But we have ideas. We've had to fight to keep the Affordable Care Act from being repealed. Mm -hmm. We had to get that done. And now it is dead. Uh, whatever uh, 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 Mr. McConnell says next week about a repeal vote, just take a look at what CBO said, 32 million people without health care. Premiums in the next decade go up uh, 100%. Uh, in, in any case, now we have the ideas. They're on the table. And we're prepared to have a debate and a discussion about that if they if our colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to join that debate, and if they don't, we're going to make the proposals of where we ought to go to fix the Affordable Care Act. Jump in, Cameron. So I'm curious about, because you know, clearly you guys in the last election had a huge problem with especially white working class voters, but working class voters uh, you know, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Of, of every race. Right. Um, and the last time you guys won the House back, you won largely older, poor voters voted for you guys and they hadn't been for a while in 06 uh and you saw that that's where a lot of these blue dog democrats won uh clearly there's been a tension within the party uh in the last two four six years between this populist and, and more business uh democrats the message you're articulating seems like it, it, it one tailored towards you know 45 50 55 year old uh, voter who may have been an ancestrally Democrat and has moved away from the party. How do you get those people back, and how much of a priority is is that versus you know going through a district like what we just saw in Georgia six, um, where more upscale, more educated, and culturally more averse to Trump? Let, let, let me let me see if I, this is my perspective. Okay, I've thought a lot about this, uh, and I've been very vocal about this within my own caucus and publicly, etc. I think. Uh, the the issue that the issues that you speak about are nationwide. This is not about the Rust Belt or the heartland or just rural America. Uh, when I take a look at my own state of Connecticut, when I take a look at what's happened to to, to, to to working people, uh, and I think in order for Democrats to win, what we need to do is to reconnect with working people in this country again. We have already, we have had in the past. That's the a Democratic support. Party. That's who the Democratic this is Party who we is, are. right? It is about the middle class. It's about the vulnerable that I talk about, but it is about wages. It is about increased income. The biggest economic problem today, people are in jobs that don't pay them enough money to live on. We have to address that. We've done it in piecemeal ways. And we have to win back the trust of working America to say that Democrats understand what my life is like. They understand the struggle that I have. I can't get my kids to school. I can't pay for a bright, smart kid 
to be able to have a different future because I can't pay for it. I can't pay for health care. I can't retire. I can't take a vacation. Understand my life. You know, it's like Arlie Hochschild has wrote uh, in Strangers in Their Own Land. His people are out there. They don't think we respect their views, that they're, we don't care about their lives. We've got to make that connection. That doesn't happen overnight. And so, but I think fundamentally understanding that um, uh, is, is, is important. What is also important, and I, I, just so if I can pivot a second to the, to, 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 to the book, is to, as, as I said, people are on their feet now. The budget is the next battle. Understanding that if we're talking about jobs and wages, that we need skills training, apprenticeship programs, opportunities for people. 70% of the people in the United States do not have a college degree. How do we provide them with the opportunity for a job and that kind of training? Get back to where we were with the kinds of social safety net programs that made a difference in people's lives, where you had Democrats and Republicans who came together around those issues. So many of the programs that I speak about in the, in the book, if, if you, you can deal with uh, hunger and the nutrition programs, McGovern Dole. You can deal with income supports and child tax credits, which are critical to, to working families uh, uh, today. Uh, that had, there was uh, uh, Clinton, Bush, Reagan talked about refundable tax credits. Um, and you've got a, a, a Rockefeller, even a Gingrich, a Miller, Dodd. You've got people coming together saying we have to uh, deal with these, these, these issues. Uh, and, and you can go on because the social safety net, when you look at it, was crafted, uh, as I say in the book, not by naive people, people who understood that we make progress, we have success, we daily economically, but there are people who are left behind. How do we address the issues that can bring them along? And that is what the book is all about. It, again, is The Least Among Us. It's the name of the book, and it's available in your bookstore, wherever books are sold online. Uh, we'll have a link up on our website, too, at billpressshow.com. The Least Among Us, a little theological thread there, I yes. sense, yes. Uh, Congresswoman, yes. uh, for yes. th those of us yeah. who know yeah. the New Testament and right. the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Uh, and the subtitle, Waging the Battle for the Vulnerable, I mean, that sums up the health care battle, doesn't it? It's the health care battle, and it is the budget. Let's pivot from health care. Yeah. And as I said before, I think we have a, a right. new understanding generated by the American public, they're on their feet. They need to be on their feet with regard to the budget, but they've got to know what is in it. Now, I want to build on Cameron's question a little bit. And it, I, the other day we had um, Congressman Tom Swazi from New York. Yes, Long sure. Island, yes. Great guy uh, in studio. And I forget the exact number, but he talked about, uh, I, I, you said 70% of Americans, do, working Americans, do not have a college have a education. College and he had a number of something like 70% or so who don't make more than $70,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, Understand the, the fundamental that, piece is wages. Right. Wages. Yeah. But, I mean, $70,000 a year. And think of what happens to those people if Obamacare disappears, right? Um, how, do they, how can they afford how health they, insurance how and a mortgage survive? and their kids and putting food in the – all those things. We saw how well it went in the late 2000s. 
I mean, the, this has been tried yeah. before without Obamacare. I'm not. It, it clearly is, is a deeply flawed bill in some ways. But I mean, there's a reason Republicans can't just repeal and wait. And there's a reason even Republican senators are blanching at this is because this versus how things were set up in the healthcare markets before this. Uh, it, you know, I my dad was in a high high risk insurance pool in Illinois, and that mm-hmm. pool wasn't functioning. And been mm-hmm. you know, it just you know when people are paying tens of thousands of dollars a year for health care and they're only making you know they're they're paying 20 30 percent of their salary towards health care that keeps them from spending money on anything else yeah and i mean there, there's unworkable mm-hmm. parts of the bill that went into law but there was unworkable parts of the system that we would be returning to with full repeal and that, i mean it's but you know there's something you know there's a discussion about the uh, the insurance market. Well, when you tell the insurance companies that you're not sure that you're going to do the cost sharing, what's going to uh, happen? Yeah. But, you know, well, the uncertainty. You tell itself, me the yeah. uncertainty. You tell me about business. We deal with uncertainty all the time in our lives here, in, you know, the Congress. We never know. But, but business, you know, prides itself on consistency, where they're going, what they're doing. They've got their 10 year program, whatever. And when you tell them, we're not sure. It's in the courts. We're not sure whether or not we're going to provide those cost-sharing, you know, uh, benefits. And that's one of the issues that we are going to address as well. Uh, but so there, for, the, for the public today and uh, with, with health care, and it is social safety net because Medicaid is, Medicaid is, when you think about both ends of the spectrum, children, between the CHIP program and Medicaid, they take uh, children are the biggest beneficiaries of both programs. Of both of those programs, yeah. Children with disabilities. You look at IDEA, special education in schools. Federal government has never provided as much money as that. Say they said they were forty percent of the cost. They didn't do it. We have about seventeen percent. What? How do schools? who are mandated to provide a child with disabilities with an education, how do they make up the difference? They do it through Medicaid. Families with severely disabled kids who are not in the school system, what do they do with their, with their child and so forth? The other end of the spectrum are the seniors and nursing homes. I went to one in Woodbridge, Connecticut, I might add. Mm-hmm. Woodbridge, Connecticut was regarded as an affluent community. Sure. Over 50, no, 58 out of the 90 patients that they had there were on Medicaid. What happens when that goes? And when people see that, because when you go from rhetoric to the reality of what this uh, affordable health care has meant, then there's a different story, and it changes. Yes, we need to fix it, but the budget fight is next, and I'm going to stand up and talk about what they, what havoc they will wreck with the budget. I haven't heard you mention Social Security. That's being messed with in, in the Republican budget, too. I, I'm curious, mm-hmm. I mean, why the emphasis on the Medicare cuts rather than discussing well, it? Yeah. It's, it's all, I mean, look, I, 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 because, look, when I look at $487 billion in a cut to Medicare, which is beyond what Newt Gingrich tried to do uh, all those years ago, that's a uh, that that says, adios Medicare. You know, uh, you, yeah. you're going out and find it for yourself. I have a, my mother's 103 years old. 
God love her. Really. 103 years old. Now, she has me. She has uh, Stan, my husband. She lives with us. Not everybody can do that. How would she negotiate this effort, you know? Uh, uh, So that uh, and one point five trillion dollars with regard to Medicaid, those leap leap out at you. But look, I I have no no illusions. Uh, Again, there's there was a push to privatize uh, Social Security. Um, uh, They talk about it as going broke. And my my answer to that is lift the cap. We can make Social Security, you know, solvent, you know, for the future. And again, I speak about this in the book. Democrats, Republicans, Ronald Reagan, was it Reagan and Tip O'Neill came together and they said, Social Security is in trouble. We need to fix it. They fixed it. Were you here under Ronald Reagan? Um, <coughs> yeah. in Congress yet? I w- well, I was working for Senator Dodd right. at the time. Oh, at the time. Yeah, okay. The time I, well, I did want to ask you. So, I mean, you've seen a, a few presidents come and go, Republicans and Democrats, yeah. worked under them either as a staffer or as a. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. As a member uh, of Congress, um, how do you rank Donald Trump uh, uh, in the office of president in terms of other presidents you've had to deal with? Um, Is he up to the job? I'm going to answer it this way. This is someone who is ill-informed, misinformed, has no intellectual curiosity, and in my view is dangerous. I think that the, the breadth and the scope of the office of the presidency uh, in some way, it, no, it just has not been internalized. I, it's a, of a different scale. I never ran for office before I ran for the Congress. Mm-hmm. I took myself to school during the campaign so I would know what the Congress was, what it was about, what the House was about, what the issues that I had to have familiarity with. And I took myself to school. It was a steep learning curve. <laughs> I was elected. I know you well enough to know. I know you applied yourself to every issue. I, every... I was elected, and yeah. I, the story is there. When I went for the orientation, I sat at a long table. At the other end was David Obi, my dear, dear friend. And I listened to him talk about the budget. I listened to him talk about appropriations. And I won't tell you on the air what expletive I used. <laughs> I said, holy, and it's in yep. the book. <laughs> I said, I am in over my head. What have I done? You know, again, I took myself to school. And I learned about the institutions. I learned about the issues. I learned about legislation and how you go about doing it how you form coalitions, what you have to do. And being a woman in the Congress, you have to work twice as hard, even today. But there's somehow a disconnect about, uh, 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 with the president of internalizing the breadth, the scope, the dimension, the complexity uh, of every issue of being president of the United States. Uh, and that does not serve the country well. Mm. There is a move on the part of some Democrats in the Congress. Uh, articles of impeachment have already mm-hmm. been introduced. Uh, have you signed on? 
No, look, I think that uh, uh, there is so much that happens every day and often very, very bizarre occasions, but there is a special prosecutor. Some people, including myself, have called for an independent commission, but my view is is that all of that has to be deliberative. Go to the uh, the uh, special pros- prosecutor. I hope for an independent commission. They will make findings and recommendations. In the meantime, in the meantime, what I uh, you know what I wish for that we would have a full and open discussion about what's in the budget, how the American people are going to be hurt by what is being done. Let's we have a. I, I, our national security is, is, was in jeopardy. There's no question in my mind about what Russia did. The only question is in the president's mind about what <clears throat> Russia did. But we've got a process that is partially established. If you want to move to an independent commission, let's do that. And let's get that deliberated. Let's move on to what people all over this country, including in Connecticut, want to know about. What's happening to me? What's happening to my family? What are you, Rosa DeLauro, and others going to do about making sure I can take care of my family, get my kids to school, have affordable health care, and have economic security for my future? That's what it's about. That's the agenda. Uh, she is uh, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro from uh, Connecticut's 3rd Congressional District. The book, great book, the least, shows the path, the least among us waging the battle for the vulnerable. Thanks so much, Congresswoman, for thank who you. you are, for what you're doing, for coming in today. And Cameron Joseph, thank you for being with us. Cameron Joseph, you can follow at TalkingPointsMemo.com. Uh, that's it for today, folks. Have a great day. Igor Volsky and it's a friend of this Bill tomorrow. Is Check the it out. Bill Press Show. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.